let's open up our Bibles over to Colossians chapter 3. God, your family, and you. And we have already talked about marriage in this series, so we're not going to say a lot more about that. We are talking about, though, how to train up your children, how to raise them up. Some people say, well, don't use the word raise because that's the word you use with cattle. Just you train the children up. Yeah, either way, everybody knows what we're talking about, right? We know our kids are not cows. Now, some of you are kind of saying, well, I don't know about that. The eyebrows went up a little bit. But anyways, we are continuing this series, Raising Godly Children in an Ungodly World. I couldn't help but think back as I was preparing this week of many years ago, my wife and I were in Sam's Club. I think we were with our kids, maybe not at that point. But I can remember hearing this, Yeah, we were at the checkout stands and looking down and hearing this commotion going on. And here was this family and uh, the husband, the wife, and I think two or three children were there. And the man of the family, he was about, he was a big man. He was about 250 pounds, just a big man, solid man. And he had his little three or four year old son. And this kid was not only out of control, he was violently, vehemently, with passion, beating his dad, punching on his legs. And this was going on, and this was going on. I can't remember how long, but I'm, I'm watching. I'm looking down, and I'm watching this. And I thought, you know, what a pathetic picture this is. Here is a man, a giant of a man. And here's this little peanut beating on his father. And it was like, what's wrong with this picture? Something is definitely wrong in that home. There is a misunderstanding or a lack of knowledge and ignorance, true ignorance, about how the family is supposed to be and how the children are supposed to be responding to the parents and the parents, by the way, to the children. Now, you know, some people will look at that and they'll say, oh, that little kid, boy, that little kid's bad. Uh, Let me tell you something. It's not the child's fault he's that way. It's the parent's fault he's that way. Do we get that? We need to understand that, folks. Children are being children. They're not trained yet. You have to train them to raise them up according to the word of God. Now, the greatest manual ever written having to do with child training is this book. This book has amazing things to say about it. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't want to believe what the Bible says because they have been programmed into thinking that the world knows more about how to raise up kids than God does. Or that the Bible, what it has to say is primitive. Well, no, it's not primitive. It's eternal. And that which is eternal doesn't change. And so the truth is found in scripture. Now we've already covered four foundational principles. We've talked about them generally, and we've talked about unconditional love, which is the first one. Specifically, we are in on the issue of discipline right now and how to raise up or teach your children biblically, not verbally. I'm not talking so much about that, but as far as training them in a, in a disciplinary way and what God's word has to say about that. Now we saw there's unconditional love. There's firm, consistent discipline. The third one was biblical instruction. Two weeks will be on that one. In two weeks will be on that one. And the fourth one is godly parental example. Now, unconditional love, if you were not here 
For those messages, I want to encourage you to go on YouTube. You can watch them. Those are already available. Sermon Audio may already have them. I'm not sure. But anyways, those things are available. It's important that this series, you hear the whole series to where you don't go away saying, boy, that church, you know, they've got a strange idea of how to raise up children. Well, number one, what I'm sharing with you is nothing but Bible. Okay? So if it's strange, God is strange, who created us who made us, who wired us, so to speak. He knows what he's doing. We need to have that mindset as the choir sang. Bow the knee. Don't think God's going to bow down to you in your opinion. Bow the knee to him. He is the one who knows what's going on. Unconditional love, firm, consistent discipline, which is what we're on now. Biblical instruction, that's coming in two weeks. And then the last one, godly parental example, okay? Now, unconditional love, that drives everything else. Love is seeking the highest good for another person. This means that you love your children no matter what they do. Now, that doesn't mean you love what they do necessarily. There's a big difference between the two. But we are always thinking about what we can do for the benefit of our child. You see, love acts in the other person's best interest. So if I love my children, if we love our children, we are going to act, we are going to respond, we're going to deal with them from a perspective of what is best for them. Not what is convenient, but what is best. Not what I feel like doing, but what is best. Okay? And that's very important. And of course that that involves a lot of different things. Secondly, firm, consistent discipline. In way of quick review, discipline is not what you do to a child. It is what you do for a child. Now, again, let's review a little bit. What is discipline? Well, this has to do with training our children to obey and to respect authority. Discipline has to do with training our children to obey and to respect authority authority. Here's the point. Children must be taught discipline and respect for authority before we will be able to mold them and teach them that which is right. Any teacher will tell you, if your classroom does not have control, your children will learn nothing. Parents, if your children are not under control, your children will learn nothing. You have to have them in control. And that means in submission to your authority respecting you as the parent. And it's your job to get them to respect you as a parent. It is not in them to respect you naturally. That's not the way they're made. There is no learning without control. Remember the goal of child training, that our children would trust Jesus Christ the Savior and then grow up to love and serve Christ. This is the goal of parenting, that they would trust Jesus Christ the Savior and then grow up to love and serve Christ. This has to do with shepherding our children, and it takes a combination of correction, and it takes a combination of instruction. Now, discipline is related to the word discipleship, and that is what we are trying to raise them up to be, disciples for Jesus Christ. Those who are going to not only be saved, but follow him, learn of him, and then follow him. It is so incredibly important. The word disciple literally means a learner or a pupil. And so they have to learn what to do and then to do it. Now, if you don't have your children under control, you'll never get to the learning part and you're certainly not going to get to the doing part. 
So this is incredibly important. Let me just give you some biblical truths. I'll just go over them quickly, the ones we covered last week concerning discipline. Number one, it is your, or A, it is your God-given right. God has entrusted your children to your care, parents. Colossians 3.20, it says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Again, you don't show that verse to your children and just say, okay, why aren't you obeying? You have to train them to obey. You have to teach them, teach, disciple, same idea. We have to train them in obedience, okay? This is the responsibility of parents. Secondly, it is a God-given command. You are God's representative in your child's life as a parent. You're not their buddy. You're their parent. When you get older, you'll have an adult-to-adult relationship with your children. But it's not yet. Don't look at your little kids and think, well, they're my, they're my buddy. Or, or you know what? I want to be their buddy. That's what they need. They need me to be their buddy. No, they need you to love them and they need you to train them and they need you to instruct them and they need you to be an example to them. That's what they need. Don't think in terms of, well, I need, a, you know, a lot of times what parents are saying is this, well, I need my children to love me. Let me tell you this. No respect you. If they respect you, the day will come when they will love you. And the reason they will love you is because you taught them to respect you. It'll come, but don't be getting their love, be the driver in your life, because that's not biblical and it's not right. It's Ephesians 6, 4, you fathers provoke not your children to wrath or anger, but bring them up in the nurture the training and the admonition, the putting of them into the mind of the Lord, okay? Let's move on. Children need corrective discipline. <laughs> Boy, people kind of freak out about this, but God's word's very clear. Children need corrective discipline because they are naturally sinful. Oh, no. Every other kid, but not mine. <laughs> Let me spare you the research. You have a sinful child. And our children were sinful growing up, and your children are sinful. And you church parents, your children are sinful, okay? So just understand it. And don't get in a huff when somebody comes to you and says, you know, I got to talk to you about something your child was doing. You know, it's immediately, I am on the defense, okay? You can go ahead, but don't go too far. Because man alive, I'll knock your lights out in Christian love. (laughs) If you say anything that bothers me about my child. Now, you know what? Somebody says something in love about your child and something they're doing wrong. You ought to give them a big hug and say, thank you. I needed you to tell me that because I want to be the best parent I can be. That's the right approach. Not, I'll never talk to them again. Oh, yeah? but Well, I know their kid. Yeah, you probably do. And yeah, they'll probably admit that their child's not perfect. But it's a process, folks. It's a process. And you church parents and you school parents, listen, if your children do something wrong and we tell you about it and you have to deal with them and maybe it's a very open public thing, they throw a temper tantrum or whatever like this and you have to deal with them and you're embarrassed and you're humiliated, let me tell you something. Try not to be embarrassed about that. Just take care of it. We know that's normal because they're sinful. It's their old sin nature in them. 
Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is David talking about himself. This is the man after God's own heart. Now, he wasn't born a believer. He had to be, come to the point where he put his faith in the Lord. But he says, I was conceived a sinner. And that's completely in line with Scripture. See, folks, listen. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Okay, as one pastor said, it's just as natural for a child to sin as it is for a dog to bark or a cat to go meow. Let's move on. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Proverbs 22, verse 15, it says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. The rod of correction. Be aware of anybody who is going to try to undo what the scriptures say about this. They'll say, well, the rod of correction, that's just figurative language. Listen, if, if you believe that, you're a liberal. It isn't figurative language. God could have said, this is figurative. He didn't. He meant it. You look up the Hebrew word, it means it has to do with a, a stick, is the idea. A branch, something from a tree. And it's literally a rod. And it says, that shall drive it far from him. Proverbs 17, 21 says, he that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow and the father of a fool hath no joy. Now you notice this foolishness is bound up in the heart. So you may beget a fool, but they don't have to remain a fool. If you do your job as a parent, they can end up being a wise individual. But yes, by the very nature of our sin nature, we are come into the world as fools. Now, some children need discipline more than others in the sense of corporal punishment and so forth. Some people need that more than others. Some children need it more than others. And I know we have parents in this room who would testify to that. You know what? I had that one child. I just look at them. They would straighten up. I hardly ever had to do anything. But boy, that other one. Foolishness. Please get this. Foolishness is inseparably linked to rebellion. It is not too strong a word to use, this word rebellion. I know it's a strong word. I know it's a troubling word. I type it and it's a troubling word because I know what it means in scripture. And I want you to see it. Turn with me over to 1 Samuel 15. What does rebellion mean? Well, the American Heritage Dictionary says this, rebellion is an act or a show of defiance toward an authority or an established convention, okay? An established convention would be the rules that you live under, is the idea. An act or a show of defiance toward an authority or an established convention. Now, you notice what it said in Proverbs twenty-two, fifteen: foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Foolishness is bound. It's almost like foolishness has got its claws around the, the innermost being of a child. And it's through proper discipline that that is loosened and driven out of that life. But you have to do it. And you have to do it the right way. And by the way, next week we're going to talk about how to discipline your children in the right way. Enact their show of defiance toward an authority and established convention. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 15, King Saul had disobeyed the order of the prophet Samuel and 
of course, he is disobeying the word of God. And what Saul did to disobey, folks, understand this. He partially obeyed what he was told. He obeyed, he obeyed a lot of it, but he didn't obey all of it. And you know what? It cost Saul the kingdom. God took the kingdom away from Saul because Saul was rebellious towards him. You might say, well, he mostly obeyed. Yeah, but partial obedience is disobedience. You either obey or you don't. We either obey or we don't. Now, this is a huge deal in life. And it says in 1 Samuel 15, verse 23, this is the prophet Samuel speaking. And look at the language, how strong this is. Now, I'm not making this up. This is the word of God. It says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Okay, look at that. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. How many of you would be okay with your children being involved in witchcraft? Probably not many of you. I'm sure none of you. You'd be very troubled by that. God says rebellion is just as bad as that. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. It needs to be dealt with. And rebellion is bound in the heart of the child, okay? Foolishness related to that. And so keep that in mind. We'll get back to that in just a minute. But let me give you the next point because this is very important. And this is the one, parents, listen, I'm giving you a gift today with this that if you will apply this, and it's going to take some work, but if you will apply this, you are going to be one happy camper when it comes to your children. Are you ready for it? Here it is. You must work, this is our next point, you must work to the important goal of first-time obedience. Okay? First-time obedience. If you don't want to see first-time obedience, just go out in public and listen to the way parents deal with their children. Come on, Billy, we're going. No, I'm not going to go. Now, Billy, we're going to go. It's time to go. No. Now, mommy's got things to do when we get home. We've got to go. Come on, let's go. No. Now, Billy, listen, I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Now, Billy, I really mean it this time. I'm going to count to three again, okay? That parent is wearing herself out by that stuff. Listen, if we invest and do it right on the front end, the back end, okay? If we do it correctly, it will save us the grief of that. But this is an issue of training. Remember, the word disciple means to train. First-time obedience. One man said this, First-time obedience is the hub of the wheel that makes all the spokes tight. You will eliminate, listen, 40 to 50% of all conflict right off the top. Because conflicts usually are an issue of escalation. That's where they get nasty. That's where it gets to where it wears you out. That's where it gets so frustrating. That's where we tend to get angry. It's because we allow it to go on and on and on. No, folks, the goal is to train your children to first-time obedience. Now, I know there are some people who don't like me to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you can train a dog, which is not as intelligent as a person, usually, if you can train a dog to sit, to lay down, 
to roll over, to come when you say come, to get in your kennel when you say that. If you can train a dog to do that, which is less intelligent than a human being, why cannot we train our children to first-time obedience? You just have to invest. Oh, that's very dehumanizing. No, it's not dehumanizing. God is the one who talks about the issue of training. The story's told. It's a true story. There was a two and a half year old child. Dad was outside. He was working. He was painting the house and uh, he was doing a good job of it. And he had the ladder there because he had to get up, you know, further and so forth. And so there he had the ladder up to his roof and uh, he had to get down and go do something. I can't remember what the thing was, but he, he got down and he went into the house to do what he needed to do. And in the meantime, unbeknownst to him, his two and a half year old climbed up the ladder onto the roof. He came outside and as he went up to the ladder, he looked and there's that two and a half year old child on the peak of the roof. I'll just say her name was Mary, just for the sake of that, okay? He said, Mary, don't move. Stay right where you're at. Guess what? Mary did not move. Mary stayed right where she was at. Do you know why? It's because mom and dad had put in the time to train her to first-time obedience. You might say, what about her getting up on, on the roof? That was just a curious child. But when the time came to obey, she obeyed. She did what she was supposed to do. Folks, it's the same thing. Let's, you know, your child probably won't end up on the roof, but let's just bring it down to another situation. How about this one? How about you're outside in your front yard and your little child decides they're going to take off and they're going to run into the street. Maybe a ball goes into the street or whatever. And that ball goes, and all of you have seen it, right? That ball goes out into the street and that child takes off after that. And when you realize that the child's so far away, you know there's no way you're going to get there in time to keep them out of the street. That could be the end of their life. If you invest the time and teach your children first-time obedience, you can say, Mary, stop, come back. And guess what? Mary will stop and come back. This is important, and you can do it. You have to do it, or you need to do it. If you don't, you are just inviting frustration and anger into your life, okay? This takes work at the beginning, but pays off soon after. Remember, you are training a child. You're training a child. As children mature, our control in their lives should decrease as they learn and exhibit greater self-control. Do you remember teaching your children how to ride a bike? I can remember our oldest daughter, Michelle, had the bike and I was out there in, in the street and she was on it, you know, and she's, was that at, at, the, at the school or I can't remember which one was which. I know one of them was in the street. But anyways, they were there and they're on the bike and of course, okay, let's go. Now you start pedaling and, and so forth and you're holding on as a parent, right? You're holding on and you're running besides them as they go. And as time goes on and you're sensing it's a little bit more stable, then you're getting, your touch is becoming less and less because they are getting the self-control they need to do it themselves. And so there's that moment of time when you're running full bore and they're riding the bike and you're just kind of holding on a little bit. And then you let up and you stop and you're there and off they go. 
Off they go. What happened? Over time. But you see, you had to train them to get to that point. Let me give you another example of that. Those of you with little ones, you know where I'm going with this. Potty training. They have to wear a diaper, right? Until they learn self-control. When they learn self-control, then you don't have to control them with a diaper any longer. It's the same idea when it comes to this issue of character, okay? It gradually changes over in time to them having self-control and you doing more teaching. As far as character and behavior goes, though, I believe this takes place, if done right, this takes place anywhere between 10 and 13 years of age to where they're really getting this issue of self-control and you're finding that you're transitioning over to where you're teaching them more than you're disciplining in their life. But don't just say, okay, they're 10 now or they're 12 now or whatever. That's it. Now I won't discipline them anymore. No, you may have to. You may have to. The issue of control is critical. When a child, or excuse me, when children are young, they need greater control until they are trained. Let me show you an illustration here that I, that I picked up. This is not original for me. This is from the book, What the Bible Says About Child Training. Look at this. Now, this is not a good graphic. We tried to duplicate this. It's not easy, all right? So I'm just showing it to you from the book. Now, you notice up here, maximum influence potential. Here's a child's age at zero, okay? This is the, the time when a human being is, is a child. And this is maximum control. You see up here, maximum control. But as the child progresses through life, that control should start being less and the teaching begins. Remember, there is no learning until there's control. Listen, parents, you don't reason with a two-year-old, okay? Don't treat them like they're an adult. They don't get it. They need somebody to control them still. The day will come in their life when you can reason with them, and that's the time of teaching. But right here, it's all you are controlling them, you are training them, and as time goes on, your control becomes less because, and you're transitioning into a teaching posture. And then here, as time goes on, all right, you switch over, they're getting older, your control of them is becoming less, and your involvement in teaching them is becoming greater. And that's how it goes all the way through Life. Now, some children, it's earlier than others, okay? Years ago, one of the first families we had in our church, I remember this one family, they had two sons, and these boys were not disciplined, sharp young men. They were like bumps on the log, okay? The choices they made were not good ones. Now, one of them I know of, he actually turned out, pretty decent. But the other one, I don't know what happened to him. But I do remember this, as these children were coming into their teen years and they were making bad decisions in life, the parents boasted that they were so glad because they were allowing their children to make decisions. Friend, if your child is making the wrong decisions, don't be proud of it. Something has not gone well in that. We should be training them to where they're making right decisions, okay? Now, this issue of discipline, 
It has to be driven by unconditional love to be effective. Love and respect, though, they go hand in hand. As a matter of fact, love will grow out of respect. So you have to teach them respect. You have to teach them submission to authority, which brings us to our next point. Correction teaches them respect for authority. See, submission is a quality of life that is going to take them far in life. If a child doesn't learn submission, he's not going to do what his teachers say. He's not going to do what his boss says. He's not going to do with whatever authority is over him if he doesn't learn submission. Ephesians 6.1, it says, children obey your parents in the Lord. Isn't that an issue of submission? Hebrews 13.17, it says, obey them that have the rule over you. Isn't that an issue of submission? Yes. If you're not used to obeying, but simply doing what you want, you're going to have real trouble in these areas. Proverbs 1.8, my son, hear the instruction of thy father. Again, that's an issue of submission. Now, the issue has far-reaching effects, and I want you to see this. Turn with me to Proverbs 23, because up to this point, you may hear this, and you might say, well, you know what? I don't know if he's, he's making such a big deal of this. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Well, How big of a deal could it be? It could be the biggest deal of their life. Let me show it to you. Proverbs 23, 13. It says this, withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. Now, you know, people will see the word beat there and, and, you know, I'll get letters or people will get all upset. He's using, he's saying you should beat, beat kids. Now, now, wait a minute. Did I, I'm just reading what the Bible says. Take that up with God. Look at it. What does it mean? It doesn't mean abuse your children. There's a way to do it. We'll talk about it next week. Doesn't mean abuse your children, but it does mean you're disciplining them with corporal punishment. Now, listen, don't reject this. Maybe you grew up in an abusive home to where your dad or your mom physically abused you, okay? And so you reject this because you're thinking back of the way it was with you. Let me tell you something. If they physically abused you, they didn't do it right. Don't reject what God says with what people say and what people think because that happens. That happens. But look at it. Proverbs 23, 13. Withhold not correction from a child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. Wow. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? You might say, well, how does that work? I thought you're saved by believing the gospel. Yes, you're saved by putting your trust in Christ. See, folks, foolishness is characteristic of an independent spirit. If they will not listen to you, they have no reason to listen to God. If they will not listen to God and respect him, they will not listen to the word of God. If they will not listen to the word of God, they'll never believe the gospel. If they don't believe the gospel and trust Jesus Christ as their savior, they will end up forever separated from God in hell. This is what the Bible teaches. If the children won't respect their parents whom they can see, then why in the world would they respect God who they cannot see? This is very serious. This is very important. When a child is in submission, they are teachable. When they're teachable, they're impressionable, and you can teach them, and you can share the gospel with them, and they will see their need 
that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, and they will trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And through that, you, what do you do? You deliver their soul from hell. Let me go on. Very important. And an important issue in the issue of discipline is to bring a child to repentance. All right? This is a goal when you discipline your children, to bring them to repentance. This means you're bringing them to a change of mind or a change of of attitude. If you do not see this when you discipline your children, you have not been effective in your discipline. This change of mind is submission to you. This is what you're trying to bring about. This repentance is bringing the will of the child into submission to you and hopefully the word of God. You see, a humble spirit is a teachable spirit. We are not talking about breaking their spirit. We are talking about breaking their will. They're not the same. Breaking a child's spirit is where they give up and they become hopeless. That is not what you want to do. And it shouldn't be that way. But breaking their will is you doing whatever you need to do to where they say, okay, I give up. I will submit. I will yield myself to your authority. And that is an issue of training them to get there to that point. And this is a goal. When you discipline, if there is no repentance, you've not succeeded. If there's no repentance, chances are you've only made them angry at you. So a lot of kids who grow up angry at their parents. And yeah, they were spanked when they were kids, but they weren't spanked right. And they're angry at their parents. You know what happened? Their parents never brought them to a point of repentance. They never got there. And so that child's angry. Doesn't have to be that way. You might say, well, I, don't, I don't believe any of this. Okay, I have not said this during this, mess, during this series as far as I know, but I will share this with you now and I'm not gonna keep bringing this up, okay? Let me tell you something. We have three daughters who were raised the way I am telling you through this series, okay? All of them got saved. All of them are living for Christ. All of them are in full-time ministry. All of them love mom and dad, all of them. Now, it isn't, oh, look at us. No, it's that this is true. That's the point. This is true. It's not luck. It's the word of God. It's not luck. Well, it's because you had daughters. That's baloney. I know lots of people who their kids turned out right and they have boys and, and some of them have multiple boys. Look at Pastor Dave's family is an example. I wasn't going to do it. It isn't in my notes, but uh, what is there? Four brothers? Four brothers, boys, that's all they had. Can you imagine? Poor Mrs. Horning. <laughs> all four of those boys are saved and living for Christ. You might say, how does that happen? Good parenting based on the word of God. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. This is not a fluke. This is God's way. And it works. You might say, well, it didn't work with us. Now, let me say, none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect, but it can work. Okay, let me, let me move on. So you have to do it right if you want it to work. Don't do it incorrectly and then you say it doesn't work. It does work, but you have to do it right. Let's be humble. Next, discipline for attitude is just as important as discipline for action. All right, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it, out of the heart, are the issues of life. 
If you have never disciplined your child for wrong attitude or rebellious attitude, not talking about action, I'm talking about attitude, you are missing an important part of the child training process. See, attitude comes out many times in action. The attitude comes before the action. That's why the Bible has such an emphasis on the heart. A lot more about that next week. Attitude leads to action. Listen, if little Billy is a mean little kid who likes to beat up on people, if you take care of his attitude, he's not going to beat up on people. But if you don't take care of his attitude, he will eventually do that if he's given to that. Not all kids beat up on people. I'm not saying that. But you see, it's the attitude. If you tell your child, I don't want you playing with matches, if they're in submission to your will as they should be, they won't play with matches. If they don't play with matches, they're not going to burn the house down with matches. Do you see what I'm saying? How this works? Attitude comes out in body language many times or looks on the face. Some children, they will, you'll tell them to do something and they'll huff. <laughs> okay? <laughs> or they'll have a frown. You tell them to do something, they'll go like that. Or they're staring at you. Boy, that's the one that really gets me when I see that with kids. Mom tells them or dad tells them to do something, they'll just look at them. Okay? Let me tell you something, folks. You might as well just get a stamp that says rebel and just... <laughs> right on the head. It's the same thing. If you don't take care of it, it you're going to have to take care of it sooner or later, but it's going to be worse. You see, what happens? This gets a foothold. The parent's job is to gain ground back. It's like there's a, I, people think I'm crazy, but this is it. It's like there's a war going on there. It's your will versus theirs at times. It isn't always that way, I know, but it's your will versus theirs at times. And if you let things go on, they're gaining ground in the battle. You have to reclaim that ground. And the way you do that is through proper training and proper discipline. Smart talk. They give you smart talk. They sass. Don't let it go. Don't pretend it didn't happen. Don't think, well, the next time I'll... No. No. Clenched jaw. You see it. Gets tight. Tell them to do something. Gets tight. They may not even say anything. It's rebellion in the heart. What did Samuel say? Under inspiration of the Lord. It says the sin of witchcraft. Need to take care of it. Pretending they don't hear you. Oh, that's a favorite. They didn't hear you. There's another word for that. It's a kinder word. Selective hearing. Needless to say, temper tantrums or stomping away, etc. All right? All these things need to be dealt with. Confrontation with our children is absolutely necessary for their well-being. How else are you going to train them? How else are you going to train them? Now listen, let's close over in John chapter 1. Turn there with me. John chapter 1. Friend, all I've done was share with you the biblical principles in this. See, a lot of people think the Bible doesn't say much about this. It says an awful lot about this. The book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, is the book of wisdom. And more is said about training up children in Proverbs than any other book of the Bible. God's ways are best. We do it in a right way, in a proper way, in a self-controlled way but we do it because we're trying to train up, disciple our children to where they not only trust Christ the Savior, but they go on and live for Christ. That's the goal. 
And you got to stay at it, parents. You got to stay proactive with this and do it the right way in love. We're sinners. I already covered that, didn't I? But you know what? God says for you to go to heaven, you have to be without sin. Now, how in the world is that going to happen? We're all sinners. This hand represented you and me, and this wallet represents our sin. Here we are. We're all sinners. We all do things wrong. You might say, well, I don't, I don't believe that. Well, you're wrong. God says you are. We're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. To sin is to violate the word of God, is to disobey, it's to go against the scripture. And by the way, that could even be an issue of attitude, not just action. See, sin separates us from God. Heaven's a perfect place. You have to be perfect to get there. None of us are. We're all sinners. So now we're in a, we've got a problem. Not only that, but God says, by the way, it's interesting. God says that when we sin, that has to be dealt with. Now, God says the wages of sin or the penalty of sin is death. If we were to pay for our sin, we'd have to spend forever separated from God. He doesn't want that for us. And so what he did, he was he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay for sin. You might say, why would he do that? What I'll do, I want to go to heaven. I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm going to behave. I'm going to go to church every week. I'm going to try to keep the commandments and give money and be baptized and all that. None of those things will take away sin. The wages of sin is death. Good works won't do it. That is the whole reason Jesus came is because our good works could not do this. We are helplessly, hopelessly lost and God does not want us lost. And so what did he do? He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world. And when Jesus got in the flesh, the sinless one, went to the cross, he went there for you and me. Jesus went and he took all of our sin upon himself. He made the complete payment, leaving us nothing to pay for. And he rose from the grave. And the Bible says, if you will receive him by faith, by putting your trust in him, by believing in him, he will give you everlasting life. Here it is in John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. It says, but as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them or to them that believe on his name. His name, Jesus, means God who is our Savior. When you believe on his name, you are putting your faith in him that he is God who will save you. It's what you're trusting in him for. And when you do that, he gives you everlasting life. Notice in verse 13, which were born not of blood. In other words, you don't go to heaven because your family were, were Christians. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh trying to behave yourself, nor of the will of man, coming up with some ingenious idea. That won't get you there, your own religion, but of God. The only way you can be born into the family of God is through trusting in Jesus Christ that he has paid for all your sin. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever trusted Christ as your savior? You need to do that, friend. God will save you. He loves you. He wants you to be his child. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.